with you. Please be seated. Let us pray as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you in thanksgiving, trusting only in the completed work of, your Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray that in your spirit we may learn your will for us. And now as I speak, please help me to speak clearly and faithfully to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our friends, today we continue our series on the book of Hebrews, looking at Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 18, that begins on page 1198 of the Church Bible. And there is also in the middle of the bulletin uh, a sermon guide with the title for today's message, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. As uh, the passage pulls together or brings together three main teachings about blood in Scripture. Firstly, blood is life. So shedding the animal or the person's blood means the death of that person. And secondly, blood is the symbol of atonement which cleanses, sanctifies, consecrates, and makes holy before God. And thirdly, blood is used to seal both the Old and the New Testament. Our title helps to bring together those three uh, lessons that are taught in Scripture. But friends, today, among the hot topics in Malaysia, it's not about blood. Today, the topic in Malaysia that occupies most of our attention, I think, must surely be the unimaginable size of our national debt. And depending on who you listen to, it could be more than one trillion ringgit, or it could be slightly less, still unimaginably huge. I did a casual search on the internet, and I found this data. And this is very important, so I want you to note the time and date very well. As of 9 a.m. on the 18th of June 2018, the national debt of Malaysia stood at 713,494,430,000. Now, I have got this split screen on my computer. So as I was reading this uh, particular thing on the internet, I am typing it down on my sermon. And in the time, and I'm a slow typer, in the time that it took me to type this figure down, it went up by, imagine how much, 50,000 ringgit. I must be a slow typist. But anyway, when I finished typing that first figure, the figure now that I see in front of me is 713,494,480,000. It has gone up by 50,000. Let me tell you, I didn't dare to look at it again after that. Now, this information is accredited to the Malaysian government data and carries a note that reads like this. Let me read it to you. This figure may change substantially once details are known about foreign partner contracts, and we will adjust as soon as possible, or as up. And of course, it carries a disclaimer, uh, a caution to us readers not to blame them if anything went wrong with their figures. So this is the disclaimer. This is central government debt, but the data is now questionable. Amazing. And friends, some other frightening figures were also shown. 
interest per year is 26 billion 900 million ringgit a year. And interest per person, since the time I spoke, it must have gone up by another 100,000. Anyway, interest per, sec per second is ringgit 853. And debt that each citizen of the 32 million Malaysians in the country, the debt that we owe, each one of us, from babies to old people like me, is 27,220, oh, I'm sorry, 22,227 ringgit. Each one of us owe 22,227 ringgit. So if you are trying to uh, donate to the Tabong, please bring 22,227. And if you have three kids, please bring uh, four times that. And some people like to think about it in this way. In one ringgit Malaysia terms, if you stack up the one, one ringgit, uh, you know, when you have Chinese New Year, you have all these new notes, if you stack them all up, one by one, that pile of debt will stand 50,000 miles up into the sky. And if you try to put them uh, end to end like this, imagine how many times it will go around the world. 2,500 times. That sort of like left me wondering when I read that figure. That's left me wondering, you know, uh, when, when would the debt be paid? Would it be the time of my great, 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 great grandchildren? I do not know. Do we get the picture? Do we get the picture of this debt? Now, friends, it is as if we Malaysians have sold ourselves to a consortium of banks, mainly the Chinese ones. And yet this is nothing when we compare that to our debt to our almighty God. The prophet Isaiah, uh, the prophet Elijah, sorry. The prophet Elijah uses words for sinning against God as selling ourselves, selling ourselves. Elijah said to King Ahab in 1 Kings 21 verse 20, he said this, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in God's sight. And a few verses down in 1 Kings 21, verse 25, the prophet Elijah wrote this, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Now friends, we humanity have sold ourselves to sin and evil, and we owe God an unimaginable amount of debt. Now, as I was mentioning just now, to a layman like myself, it seems frighteningly impossible to settle our national debt. Just think how much more impossible it is for us to settle our debt with God. But don't be frightened. We cannot settle it. But Jesus can and has already done that by His blood. Now, now please turn with me as we read this best news humanity has heard in Hebrews 9.28. On the same page, 1198. 1198. Hebrews 9, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. With God. And now, this morning's, uh, this uh, 
today's passage from Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 18, develops on this idea, develop on this confidence that Jesus' death has given us. And we find that in verse 1, we start. Well, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. In the past, friends, God gave the law to His people, Israel. China might negotiate some easier ways for Malaysians to pay off their loans. Or the new soft loans that we are negotiating with Japan will certainly help uh, to pay off some of the more Im immediate ones uh, that are outstanding. But at the end of the day, we still have to pay China and Japan. And like our renegotiated and soft loans, the law given to Israel could not provide the complete solution to settle our debt with God. Our writer of Hebrews described the law as pointing to the complete and total solution, but it's in itself, the law in itself, is but a shadow of the real solution. He explains in verse 2, if you read it, it, is, it was imperfect, it was incomplete. It needed to be repeated annually. And it, that seems to describe an external cleansing of the physical body. But the inside cleansing, uh, described here as consciousness of sin, his guilt, his spiritual state, if you like, remains unresolved. And we read further in verses 3 and 4. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, at this point, we see where the, the, the writer of Hebrews is focusing on. The blood of animals could not deal with sin. Sin still stands between God and man, separates us from God and man. And the old covenantal sacrifices were but a shadow, a shadow that pointed to the reality that only the blood of Jesus can do. That is to remove this barrier between God and us. So what is the reality? Well, Hebrews answers this in verses 5 to 7. And here, we are told three things. Number one, in verse 5, when Christ came into the world, Hebrews is telling us that this was no ordinary bull or calf or goat. Christ existed before taking the form of a human being. Number two, the psalmist in uh, Psalm 40 verse 6 speaks of God giving the one he has commanded an open ear, an open ear to indicate the one that he commanded perfect obedience. Now here the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, expands this thought using the words, a body you have prepared for me. To continue thinking of Christ in human form, obeying what God has commanded him to do. And thirdly, in the scroll of the book, scripture in other words. I've just chosen a few of them. There are numerous once, if you do a research on this, but I've just chosen a few. Number one, Genesis 3.15, at the fall, where God promised the offspring of woman who will deal decisively with disobedience and sin. Genesis 22.18, 
God restating the Abrahamic covenant when Abraham was totally obedient to the point of almost sacrificing his only son, Isaac, because God commanded him to do so. Numbers 21.9, Moses erecting a bronze serpent so that those who guess at the bronze serpent will be saved. Numbers 24.17, Balaam's oracle talking about a star from Jacob, a scepter from Israel. 2 Samuel 7, uh, 12 to 16, the son of man who will be given dominions over creation. And Isaiah 53, of course, the suffering servant of God who bore the iniquities and sins of many and make intercessions for them. In summary, the reality of Jesus is that he existed before creation. Elsewhere in the Bible, uh, the Bible describes him as God the Son, the Word of God, who was with God and who was God. He came and in perfect obedience settled humanity's problem with sin and and the separation from God. And his coming and mission has been written in Holy Scripture. And nothing but his blood, his death, can remove humanity's separation from God. And as we continue, the writer of Hebrews in verses 8 to 14 again reminded his readers that though the law has set down the means and the processes for purification, the physical observances observances of these would never resolve the problem of sin. The only way was obedience. But why did Jesus have to come to do this? Well, the answer lies in verse 9. It is the will of God because man was unable to obey perfectly and therefore causes the first covenant to become it, to be, it was impossible for the first covenant to resolve the problem of sin. Therefore, it was God's will that it be replaced with the new covenant through the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. Look at what verse 10 says. Verse 10 says, it is by that will that Christ's sacrifice should be the one perfect sacrifice. That sacrifice cannot be repeated and it is emphasized by using the perfect tense in the verb, sanctified. Jesus' blood needed only to be shed once and for all time. For by that one obedient and completed action, Christ has removed the barrier that stood between us and God. Man stands sanctified, consecrated, set apart, made holy to convey the message that once again humanity which was created in the image of the Almighty God, is now once again fit to stand in the holy presence of God himself. We read this in verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that one completed act is greater than all the countless repetitive acts of human priests and sacrifices. As far as the human priests were concerned, verse 11 continue. Verse 11 paints the picture. This human priest stand, stood standing because their task is never complete. The task still remains to be carried out. But Christ came once and completed what was needed and sat down at the throne of majesty. 
We continue with verse 13, as it points us to his return to rule over all things. Now, as we know, right now, resistance to Jesus' rule it continues in this world of sin. But the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 to 28 makes it clear that the day will come when all heavenly and earthly resistance will be conquered and placed under his foot. And the last enemy is death. Our oh, friends, what a wonderful future awaits those uh, when, who put their trust in him, when sin and death will be no more. Verse 14, let me read that to you. For by a single offering, he had perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And now just to note two things here, Christ's single act 2,000 years ago has perfected all of God's people. Salvation for all believers has been accomplished. That's the first thing this passage tells us. And secondly, yet its significance is not only placed in the past. The words, perfected for all time, who, those who are being sanctified carries this timeless sense, this uh, continuing consecration of his people until Jesus became totally victorious. This perfection of believers, the writer links now to the Spirit-inspired prophecy of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And when, when the writer of Hebrews write here this same prophecy, he shrank the prophecy into two salient points, summarizing the original passage. The, law, the writer deals with the law first. Verses 15 to 16. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying that this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. The new covenant through the blood of Jesus deals with the law by first internalizing the law within the believer, by putting the law in their hearts and writing it in their minds. And then, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, was, was, they are given the God-given ability to obey the God-given laws. And now, the writer turns to the main trust of the new covenant dealing with sin. In verse 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Our friends, we stand right with God again as Jesus has paid all our debts. It is like in a small way, all our national debts have been written off by the banks. It ain't going to happen, but it is like that. Now, God doesn't demand that we pay him back because Jesus has settled all that we owe to him. He has settled it all on our behalf. And in 18, the last verse of our passage, the writer writes this, where there is forgiveness of this, there is no longer any offering for sin. The old endless offerings of the old covenant are no longer needed. The blood of Jesus has dealt with the problem of sin once and for all. We stand forgiven right again with God. And only God himself can do that by giving himself to be the perfect sacrifice once and for all. So as we close our passage uh, for today, 
What can we bring home? And again, I would suggest three things that we can bring home with us. First of all, it is the will of God. It is the will of God that Jesus became man to bear the burden of sin on humanity's behalf. And knowing that takes away our guilt. Knowing that takes away our feeling of shame of the cross. Because why? It is God's will to turn the wisdom of the world upside down, to save a people for himself, sending himself to die on behalf of an undeserving people so that he can make those same undeserving people his own, turning the wisdom of the world upside down. And why? What else can it confirm? It confirms that God is sovereign over all things. So it is only right that under all circumstances of our life, in good and in the not-so-good uh, times, that we hold on tight to Him. Now, friends, because as we journey in this world, it may be that sometimes we feel that God is so far away, so distant, and we begin to wonder and we begin to doubt. It is especially at moments like this that we must remember that we have, we have been saved by Him for all time, sanctified, consecrated, set aside, for himself, made holy by his will. And that we are reminded again that this life is but a temporary journey to our permanent home to be with him in heaven. Oh, friends, it is by God's grace that we have been saved. So trust in the will of God. Now, the second thing we can bring home with us today is only the blood of Jesus. Now, today we have also seen that the countless Sacrifices annually carried out by priests interceding on behalf of God's chosen people were but a shadow that pointed towards the reality, the reality that lies in the fact that only Jesus can save. Using the words of the psalmist, our writer of Hebrews reconvicts us, redirects our attention and our focus to the total power of Jesus, the total power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to save us. And if we have that, what else do we need? Wouldn't these other things, whether they, whatever they may be, be they riches or fame or status, wouldn't they be just clutches that takes away, that take away the wonderful saving power of Jesus' death on the cross? Now, interestingly, some religions teach us that power comes from the amulets. You know, amulets that you wear around your, 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 your wrists and the amulets that you wear around your necks, the charms and other religious uh, things that you hang on the walls of your house. They say that power comes from these things. Some religions teach this. Now, friends, in Christianity, these are not the important expressions of our faith. There are some things that we do that are actually great reminders for us of Jesus, that we belong to Him, that not only do we belong to Him, that we belong to a family that is gathered in His name, Christians. But their symbols by themselves, they are powerless to save us. They are just symbols. We must remember that only the blood of Jesus can save us. He shed His precious blood for us. He died. He was buried. But God raised Him up three days afterwards. And, for, and 40 days later, God took Him up. He ascended to heaven and He sat down 
at the right hand of majesty, interceding for us. Friends, it is by God's grace that Jesus gave himself to save us. That, friends, is all we need. And thirdly, everybody needs to know what we know. Oh, no, you know, we are enjoying now the wonderful benefits that are brought about and given freely to us by God's will. In, in Christ's blood, we have reunion with God in Jesus. All fear is gone. The unknown future is no longer the unknown future, but a sure and certain hope of the salvation to come to eternal life. He has done it all. John 3.16 says that God so loved us that He gave His only Son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. And it is all by God's grace and in God's love for each one of us. And Jesus commands us to tell everyone about it. Now bear with me. Now because what I'm going to say next is not going to happen. Okay, it's not going to happen. But just bear with me. But imagine... Early tomorrow morning, Monday morning, you walk to the car porch to pick up the newspaper, or if you are like me, you wake up and you switch on the computer and you read the headlines, and these headlines blare out at you. The newspaper headlines blare out at you. You read that the consortium of banks have written off our trillion dollar debt. Malaysians don't owe anyone any more money. You don't have to come bringing 22,227 ringgit anymore. We don't owe anybody anything at all because there's no more debt. It isn't going to happen, okay? But just imagine it. Wouldn't we then rush back into the house? Everybody was still sleeping, is still sleeping. And wouldn't we wake them up? They might not be very happy with us for waking them up uh, until they know the reason why we woke them up. Uh, wouldn't we rush out into the streets and uh, start honking the, our car horns in order to wake up our neighbours? They may not be very happy be, uh, until they know the reason why. Wouldn't we do that? I would do it. Wouldn't we go and tell everybody that something has happened, that the consortium of banks no longer need our money? All our debt has been settled. That is just imagination. But friends, the gospel is true. And if the gospel is true, would we not do the same? Perhaps not in such a spectacular manner, but when we do the same with the gospel message, when we go out and tell our friends, our neighbours, or bring them to listen to the message of salvation that lies in the gospel of Christ, when we do that, or do we not believe that everyone deserves to hear the good news? Something to bring back with us tonight. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus, and for that one perfect sacrifice that he has given us in himself. We pray, Father, that your Spirit will work in us to make us better people, to do your will. And we pray that you will give us the grace to speak out to others about your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.